1: Country Gold with Terry Clark. I'm Terry Clark, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Country Gold Backstage. You're listening to Country Gold. I'm Terry Clark, and joining me this week is somebody that I met many, many, many years ago, and it's so great to have you on the show this week, Paul Overstreet. Thanks for being here.
0: It's good to hear from you.
1: Well, Paul, we play your music all the time here on Country Gold, and whether it's songs you wrote for Randy Travis and Keith Whitley or everybody, all the slew of other artists that you've written for or your own music, how does it feel to have your music remain so popular today? I mean, you started out so long ago and you've you've definitely... I mean, your soul and heart is part of the fabric of country music now. That must feel amazing.
0: Well, thank you for saying that. I tell you, the way things go these days, it's good to be remembered. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> music the music scene moves on very quickly.
1: It does. And you know, there was a there was a period a period where you were doing both. You were writing hits for other people as well as having your own hits. Um, one thing that I've always been curious about with guys like you who write so many hits that other people have recorded is how you decide which songs you keep for yourself and which songs you pitch.
0: Well, Terry, you know, when I was doing my records, I I was writing with other writers. And one of the things that I always thought about is uh, when I was going to record, you know, sometimes it may be four or five months uh, before you're going to do your next album and you're writing songs with writers that, you know, I think I just felt for them that I didn't want to hold songs, you know, until I started recording because we wrote a lot of songs. And so fortunately I was just kind of the mindset, you know, let's pitch everything. And if it gets recorded by some other artist, that's great. And then if it doesn't, then when I start to record, then I'll do it. And maybe there might be a few that are special songs that you that you, you have, you know, that just come up at the last minute and then you, then you put them on your record, but that was kind of my mindset. And so it was whoever was recording first, I think.
1: Um, I I can't go on in this interview without addressing the fact that you were a very early believer of me back when I was a kid and I had first come to Nashville. I'm, I'm trying to remember how you heard uh, something that I had, I had written, but you actually sat down and wrote with me and coached me and mentored me. And I believe I babysat your kids at one time. And I I just, you know, I go back to those days and this is, we're talking like 1988, 1989, I think it was 19 or 20 years old. And you were just, uh, do you remember that? Do you remember when we got together and wrote and you were, um, you were just so encouraging and gave me so, so much advice.
0: I I remember it very well. And actually Um, we were looking for someone to babysit for us because, you know, we had one child, our first child, and I didn't realize how much one child changes your life. (laughs) 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 You know, all of a sudden I'd tell my wife, Hey, let's go to the movie. She goes, well, we don't have a babysitter. I'm like, well, let's get one. You can't get a babysitter that quick. (laughs) And I didn't know that. I was like, Oh, okay. So, and you were just, you were, thankfully you were willing to come and and babysit our child, but we didn't leave him with just anybody. So you knew you had to be special.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate that. But, um, (laughs) and, and I appreciate you sitting down and and listening to my music back then and, and giving me some great advice and writing with me and um, you and Don Schlitz, both back then during those days were very encouraging. And, Boy, you know, when you look back on the the 80s in Nashville and the 90s, they were some of the best times and the the camaraderie and the community was just so amazing. And I I miss those days. Yeah, I miss those days. Yeah. Yeah, And, and, you know, since you had that first child that I babysat, you've had like, what, five more?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. We wound up with six kids and they're all, all grown now. So it's really it's really good. I mean, they're all in the music business in some way, shape or form. And I kind of wish that, you know, maybe thinking doctors or lawyers in there somewhere, but (laughs) in in the arts, you know. Well, people don't realize. I do remember the first time you sang for me, it was like, I I mean, I just knew you had such a strong voice. And you were working with some people in Florida at the time, I think, or they had produced some stuff on you.
1: You have a really good memory. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I just, I think that, I mean, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, I think you had been working with some people there. And- You're
1: correct. Yeah. There, I was working with a producer in uh, out of Florida who did a lot of work for Epcot Center and he was trying to produce a demo that he could pitch to labels in Nashville on because he'd walked into Tootsie's Orchid Lounge and heard me singing and liked what he heard. So that was going on while I was hanging out over at your house and um, you know, getting some advice on songwriting and babysitting, and and I'm just wondering that since you decided to have another oh, what four, five kids after when I baby, <laughs> you must have missed a lot of movies.
0: <laughs> no, we just we'd take them with us sometimes. We had one one of our kids; she was just a chatterbox. We'd go to the movie, and she'd sit back there and just talk. Blah, 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 and they they'd come ask us to leave. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I, I was sitting there watching uh Glee one night and I saw the boy that I babysat on the screen as an adult. Oh cord. Cord and yeah, Cord I, was
0: our he was our third. He's our third.
1: Oh yeah, right, right, right. But it's just amazing to me um to see these little kids now as adults and all grown up. And because I remember you having a, a more than one at the time. Um yeah. that, that I would see. It still was hang another around. gener.
0: It's a second generation, you know. There's a lot of talented kids and in nashville that are second generation
1: there really are yeah absolutely
0: um and tell me terry how did you wind up getting your record deal did, did was it some other i mean i know like that some guy heard you in tootsie's orchid lounge but who was it that I'm, if you don't mind me asking you that who was it that actually put put it all together for you
1: well it's interesting because uh That demo led me to Tom Long at ASCAP, who led me to Woody Bowles, who was a manager at the time.
0: Mm -hmm. I know Woody.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Woody uh, got me in touch with some other people in songwriting, and I wound up writing some songs at New Clarion uh, Publishing. And uh, did a demo with Brian Kennedy, who was Jerry, Jerry Kennedy's son, that circulated around town. It was like an MCA spec deal. So MCA Publishing funded it gave him a budget to take me in and we cut four or five sides. One of which Vince Gill actually came and sang a background vocal on Carl Jackson was on the session. It was just a really fun experience. And that demo circulated around town for like three or four years until Keith Steagall heard it. And he called me in to play live for him. And he wound up at a r at Mercury Records and took me in to play for Luke Lewis. And the rest is history. There was a lot of heartbreak in between though. There were a lot of broken promises and record deals i thought were going to happen it didn't and not that it's broken promises i shouldn't say that it's nashville it just happens you know you think something's sure. gonna work and it doesn't yeah. but but you were you were such a wonderful early encouragement there there were several people in town like you and carl jackson and don and people like that who were who were i think you know it keeps you going it fuels you during the the sure. times when you don't know if it's going to happen or not so thank you very much well i
0: I'm um, so, well, you know, those, those, uh those stories of rejection are are sometimes your favorite stories. Yeah. You know? As you go forward, you look back and you go, oh, that's hilarious. Cause I, <laughs> I, I remember when same old me was coming with George Jones. Um, I was writing for the Oak Ridge Boys company, but I hadn't had much success. And, you know, as far as I, I mean, I had some things that kind of kept me encouraged and kept me going, but Uh, I heard that uh, the Oak Ridge boys took a song of mine, sangled me over to Billy Sherrill and they told Billy that if they said, Billy, you always told us if we ever thought we had a song that you could record on George, bring it to you. And so we, we're bringing you this song and if you decide to cut it, we'll sing the backgrounds on it. (laughs) And so the next message I got, Hey, uh, George got your song on hold. And I'm like, Oh really? Like I'd heard so many of those stories (laughs)
1: yeah.
0: and then, no, they're going to cut it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the next thing was, Hey, they cut your song. And uh, really? Yeah, they cut it. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be on the next album. It's it's actually going to be the title cut of the next album. I'm like, right. And the Oak Ridge boys sang background. Right. And then they, it's going to be a single. I was like, right. And then it all (laughs) happened. And I was like, just, just, Blown away.
1: And it never happens the way they say it's going to. So that's kind of a rare. So that
0: was an unusual case, but it had been years, you know, before that happened. I'd been here trying to get something going. But that was the first song that really kind of got me off, you know, where I actually knew where my rent was coming from, you know, the next month.
1: Well, and speaking of, we brought up Don Schlitz earlier and I, I want to go back to, to that because you had a great partnership with Don in the 80s that led to a whole bunch of hits for Randy Travis. And, you know, on the other hand, Digging Up Bones and Forever and Ever Amen, which I think even somebody who doesn't know the first thing about country music knows Forever and Ever Amen. They just know the song. It's, it's, be, it's become a classic and a standard in music, uh, you know, globally, any kind of music. So, you know, you must have some wonderful memories of writing those songs with Don.
0: I do. I do. I just remember when I first met Don and um, I was writing with Tom Schuyler and Fred Novlock. And I mean, Tom and Fred and I were kind of writing for the same publishing company. And Tom and I had written uh, when he was at Deb Dave. We had written a couple of songs over there. I think at that time I was writing with the Oak Ridge Boys Company or or maybe it could have been uh, someone else. But anyway, uh, Don just, he would heard some stuff he did. And he said, man, I want to write with you. And I was like, okay, so let's do it. And I, and I knew Don had written The Gambler, but but he was really a prolific writer. And I, I mean, still is, I'm sure. But I'm just talking back in, in the historic days of our writing together. He was really um, good at, you know, just getting things organized and getting them uh, set up to where the song was really tight. I was pretty much a shoot from the hip kind of a guy, you know, I mm-hmm. I just love the musical side of it and the, and, and things. And so we, we were a pretty good match for a long time. And we wrote a lot of good songs. Do you guys
1: ever and see Don, each other?
0: One day he was very organized. So he called me and we see each other every now and then. But you know, there came there comes a time in all writing, um, I think all writing teams to where the same magic is just not there. I think the last time Don and I sat to write, it just wasn't we really didn't have that, that thing. It wasn't there in the room with us. And I don't, you know, you never know what that is. It's just the energy was different. And so we, I think we both kind of knew that it was um, uh, you know, we had it run its course and and that's okay. It's, you know, we, we rode that horse pretty hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, I, I can't imagine like what, what was the first song you wrote with him? And then how did you, and how long did that, you know, we talk about the Beatles having such a relatively short career compared to yeah. the amount of success and the impact that they made. So when you and Don started writing together and, and with Fred and in this combination and you guys were just on fire, what was the period of time that that started and how long would you say that that lasted?
0: Mm, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I hadn't really looked at that, but that's a good question. I could go back and, and and see what it what it was like, but it seemed like it was probably, I don't know, five, six years, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you did a lot of good in five or six years. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. So you're going back on yeah, the Don road one
0: day was showing me. The, huh? oh, sorry,
1: I interrupted you. There's a bit of a delay. So, so tell me what, just finish your thought about what you were going to say about Don.
0: Oh, I was saying Don one day, he, um, he had a notebook and it was, uh, kind of one of these, um, spiral notebooks where you, you really can't take the pages out and move them around. You know, it's just, that's just what they are. They're in there in the order you work in it. And he, he said, I want you to look at something. And he started turning the pages in this notebook and he'd turn one page and that was a hit song, turn another page. It's hit song. <laughs> Very, it was consecutive right one, right after the other. And there were, there were quite a few there t- together. And I was like, wow, that's pretty we really hit a, hit a nerve, you know, and we stayed in the vein for a while.
1: Well, th- there's a reason why you have all the awards and while you're, uh, you know, you're in hall of fame and, and the things that you've accomplished are amazing. And, you know, I think the writers of your time are some of my favorite. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, of your, that whole era of music and, yeah. uh, it, it's just the songs and the lyrics just they stand apart from anything in any other era before or after, in my opinion. And uh, there, are, there are just so many unbelievable songs that were written during that time. And um, anyway, you're, you're a big part of something that's inspired for you. You're gonna, going to continue inspiring artists and writers for years and years. And I want to touch on the fact that you're going back on the road in February with uh, Sunsets and Songs Tour. So you have yeah. so many hits. How do you pick which ones you're going to do? Because you've got more than 90 minutes of songs to play that people are going to recognize.
0: Uh, well, you know how it started with, was my wife and I were in the Cayman islands when the pandemic hit and they closed down the border here or, or there. And they, we were told that, well, there, there's one last flight out. And we just said, well, let's just stay. There's nothing going on in Nashville. I'll call everybody and everybody's there's nothing happening. And, so we decided to just stay in the Caymans and then on the, in the afternoon we and I had never, you know, I just hadn't done much live social media stuff. And so we decided because we lost a couple of people during that time, Kenny Rogers and uh, some other folks and while we were there. So we just decided we would go on the beach one afternoon and play some songs and see if people tuned in and if they wanted to hear a certain song and so that's what we did and it, and it was live and my wife was filming with her phone and she was getting feedback from people and people were requesting songs that I no longer played live and some of them I'd go wow yeah I know that song but I don't remember all how it goes exactly so I'd have to go and refresh it the next that night and then I tell them I'll play it the next day and then. After we did that once, my wife says, Julie, she goes, uh, people want you to do this again. I said, when? And she said, they want to do it tomorrow. And then next day, they want to do it again. And I was like, this is really going to cut into my day drinking. <laughs> 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 and oh. so, but it, but it turned out, so I just wait. I just exercise during the day. And I'd wait until the sunset. And because people were locked in their homes and stuff like all in New York and all over in their condos and places, they were tuning in and around the world and listening to uh, us on the beach. And then we would show them the sunset, you know, and we would, we would all have our cocktails. We'd have a, a glass of wine and I'd play songs that I knew and songs that I, the ones I didn't remember, I'd work on that night and play them again the next day. So sunsets and songs is just mostly requests from people that wanted me to Play songs that I had kind of just put over to the side and and I play all the stuff that I knew too so that's basically what it's about.
1: And I take it you're doing this th- this tour solo by yourself with a guitar?
0: Yeah I'm doing it acoustically and I'm going to take a couple players with me uh, because I have some beat songs um, that I've recorded a beach album called Somewhere in the Caribbean and people can find it on our website. It's pauloverstreet.com, uh, or you can join us at Paula Street Music Facebook. And, but I've got a couple of songs there that have steel drums on them. And so I've got this guy that plays percussion and he plays the steel pan drums and he's going to come along with me. <laughs> and uh, Dane Bryant's going to come play keyboard with me on this little, on this tech first in February when we do this Texas run. And so it's, but it's mostly, it's. I mean, it's just acoustic. Yeah. Just the three of us.
1: Well, I'm seeing some of the venues and, and they're great. Like the do Doe uh, is a great venue. You're playing some venues that I've done a lot of solo shows in and you're going to have a great time. You're going to love Oh, it. I
0: love do Does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be fun. And then we're doing the Luau with Tom Shepard in Conroe, Texas. And then we're doing um, the Isis Theater in Fort Worth. The next day, it's all they're all it's all one day after the other. So I'm not going to have time to fool around. And I got to get straight to the other gig, <laughs> and then we finished <laughs> up in love out there. So yeah, well, be, it sounds like you're going to have fun. Yeah, it'll be busy, but it'll be fun. And uh gosh, I, I wish you were coming with us. You could play, help me play a few songs.
1: Oh, I would love that. That you guys are going to have so much fun. I'm going out. I'm going to be doing some more solo show, shows this year. This year is already 2022. It's hard to believe it. I wanted yeah. to talk to you one time about uh, just a little bit about you say when you say nothing at all, because I don't know how many people have a hit in the same genre from two different artists. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> You got a yeah. hit with
1: Keith Whitley, and then Alison Krauss goes and records this song and has another hit with it and is winning, like, Grammys, and it. that's always been such, I don't know of any time that's happened before. I mean, I know Trisha Yearwood and Leanne Rhymes and the How Do I Live thing, but this is very much an anomaly to have a hit on one artist, a male artist, and then a hit on a female artist from the same song.
0: Uh, yeah. You know that I think what happened was they did a tribute album to Keith. He had passed away. And when they did the tribute album, they just had people come in to sing his songs. And Allison Krauss chose that song that she wanted to sing for a tribute record. And, and when the admin company administration company that did our admin for our publishing company brought it over to me, said to me, uh, here's your cut on this tribute album that Allison Krauss sang, but you know, Keith was better, but here it is. And they gave it to me. And I, and I went back in my office and I put it in the CD player, turned it on and it stood the hair up all over my body. I was like, what are they talking? This is yeah. incredible. This girl, she killed that recording. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she just she did that song as good as you can do it.
1: Well, I I think everybody can concur to that. She did a great job of it, and it's I yeah. hear I hear her version more than his now.
0: Well, yeah, and, and her her version was the reason it got used in the movie Notting Hill. And then Ronan Keating sang that version with Boyzone, and then he did it solo as well. So that song just kind of took a life, had a life of its own, you know.
1: Well, it it hits a nerve with a lot of people because it's so relatable. It really is. I mean it 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 speaks it speaks volumes <laughs> when you say nothing at all speaks volumes, Paul.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I told my wife one time we were driving down the road, and she was giving me. a... I don't know what she was saying, but she kept, she was talking to me a lot. And I said, you say it best when you say nothing at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the theme for most marriages, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh gosh, you know another one of my favorites. I is... didn't get any
0: hoochie-coo for a while. <laughs> no,
1: none for you.
0: <laughs> none. <laughs>
1: oh, that that brings a Mary Chapin Carpenter song to mind. I feel lucky. Not much, but <laughs> uh, "Love Can Build a Bridge" a song you wrote with Naomi Judd. They are uh, becoming the newest members of the Hall of Fame. That's, oh, that's another song I think really had so much broad impact and it's such an anthem. It's such an anthem. And boy, I'll tell you what, I think in this world we're living in today, that song, uh, that, that's, that song should become the new national anthem.
0: Oh man. I tell you, we need it. We need it these days. Don't we?
1: We sure do. We're so
0: divided. Our country is. And I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And and it seems to be that people like it that way
1: yeah it seems that way which is kind of a shame or or it not just kind of a shame it is a shame but what what an amazing inspirational song that was and always was one of my favorites and you know there's there's another one i wanted to ask you about she thinks my tractor's sexy which is a complete (laughs) which is a complete uh now for something different and you wrote that one for kenny chesney and it's still the song that he ends he ends his stadium shows with which is really cool have you been to one of his shows and and seen him end his shows with that
0: song? uh yes i I have and uh I went we went up to Washington one time to watch him play, and me and Dean Dillon and Casey Beathard and uh, Brett James and uh, we were, we went up there to watch a show, and so it was it was really amazing. I mean, what happens when he plays that song? It's just it lights the place up. And, you know, it's, it was just I, this, that song to me it was one of those things. I, I mean, a lot of people realize that it was tongue in cheek and it was, it was humorous. But the, the interesting thing about it is that I think like I just remember when I was young, my brother-in-law was a welder and my sister, she just thought he was the best welder, you know, in the world at that time they divorced later. So she probably doesn't think (laughs) that anymore. (laughs) At the time I could just, and I just, it just made me realize like, and, and how women talk about their husbands, you know, like how they're always on their side. It doesn't matter. Like one friend of ours, their daughter got, they were friends from England and we were, we were down in the islands on the beach and he took off on his paddleboard and went down to this tiki place because his daughter and her fiance had gone in there and the bartender over him. And I'm sitting with his wife on the beach and, and they're and he's, and then she's like, where is he? Where is he? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him!" And we're sitting there and I'm thinking, she's really ticked at him. So then a little bit later, we see a paddleboard coming off the beach. It's out there maybe a couple hundred yards out he's paddling and he's standing up on it and then he falls off he gets back on and he falls off and I said look at him he's drunk as he can be (laughs) and she went from I'm gonna kill him to no it's his knee he just had his knee replaced oh that's hilarious (laughs) she started defending him and you know what when he got back He was drunk as he could be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, all you gotta say is the islands.
0: But you know, so so what I'm saying is whatever the guy, I mean, when a girl loves a guy, she just she's into whatever he's into. And that's the way it was this guy. He was just his girl that loved him, she was into him on the tractor. You know, It, it meant everything to her. And I love that. They shared everything together, and it was just, you know, it was it was bliss. And so I just love that kind of, that that kind of thing. And I think she thinks my tractor is kind of about that, you know?
1: So yeah, that song, among many others, your music is just everywhere. And it's, it's our soundtrack as we were saying before, but for you, before we go, I just want to know what the most unusual place or circumstance you've heard one of your songs would be like, where were you? And you just went, Oh my God, (laughs) this is, this is, this is, uh this is, this thing's really happening.
0: Oh, wow. Gosh, you know, I, well, I always remember the first time I heard Same Old Me on the radio and that kind of lit my world up because it was like, all of a sudden it wasn't, I was kind of worried about it, you know, not being as great as the song that was out before it. and And when I heard it on the radio, it i knew it it pretty much changed i knew it was going to change my life and and for the better in nashville for sure and and one of the other the other scenarios was when you say nothing at all when i had someone that was in asia i don't i forget which country they were in but they played some there was a band singing when you say nothing at all foreign band but they were singing it in english but but with an accent, you know, but they, they recorded it on their phone and sent it to me. Wow. And I, I was just like blown away that it had that, that it had that reach and that impact.
1: Well, I, I guess so. That's, um, and it does, and it has, and I, I, you know, thank you for the music that you've, you, you are such a big part of country music. You really are. Your talent and songwriting has definitely, um, helped shape even the artists that are recording today. I think they look back on folks like Randy Travis and the guys that have recorded yeah. your songs were influences on them. So it's it's a pretty outstanding career. Now a lot of us have been unable to perform our music because of the pandemic, but so what are you looking forward to most about this tour in particular?
0: Well, you know, I've uh, been me, but I'm gonna go out and play my songs and see what happens. <laughs> um, I had a dream last night that we were worried about filling up a, a room, and I and when I, and in my dream I walked in the room and it was only it was only about 30 people could get in there. I was <laughs> like, I don't know what that dream was trying to say, but I don't know. It's just you know I'm I'm a I love playing I love playing live. It's just it's really what I. I really enjoyed doing that. I think my vision probably when I came to Nashville was more about studio recording my songs and and releasing them. And so it's fun for me to go out there and get a chance to play those songs for people and just share that moment. Because in writing, it's always delayed gratification. You write a song, you don't know how it's going to be received for a long time you know? And so when you go on stage and you play a song, you kind of know right away. And, and that's a, and I just, I love the thrill of that.
1: Are you going to be doing some new stuff or mostly the, the hits?
0: I do. I do new stuff as well. Yeah. You know, and I also do comedy. I have some comedy songs that are just, I mean, they're on the edge and I know I'm going to get letters and get in trouble if I sing them, but I have to do it because they're just funny.
1: It's show business. It's entertainment. Of course you do.
0: Yeah. And so I, you know, I I'll, I'll do all of that stuff because it's just it's to me it's like kind of an evening, you know, where we just sit there and somebody maybe drinking wine or whatever, We're just having a good time. There's nothing real rehearsed about it. It's just kind of impromptu. And I love that.
1: I do too. People love solo shows for that reason. It feels like you're sitting in their living room, you know, when they're just hanging out. Yeah. Well, the sunsets and songs tour begins in February and for all the dates, people could go to pauloverstreet.com. Paul, it has been so much fun catching up with you and uh, I can't tell you uh, how I was really looking forward to talking to you today because it's been so many years and I want to thank you so much for joining me this week on country gold.
0: Well, you know, we're so proud of you, Terry. You did, you have a great career. And we're so, and I'm so thrilled that I got to see you coming up before you had any success because I got to know, I got to know you then and you're, and you're still the same. And it, you're just a great person. And thank you so much for what, what you've given us.
1: Well, thank you. And the, the same to you, Paul. Please, happy new year. Please have a great 2022. And I hope to run into you out there somewhere and see you down the road.
0: And let me just say one last thing is that Randy Travis, what a great guy he is and how much he blessed me by recording our songs. And I'm so thankful he was an artist at the time we were writing stuff and he he's it's everybody just keep supporting him, keep praying for all of us. And thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Randy Travis is uh, a legend and, I know that the industry and the world, everyone in the world is always thinking about Randy, praying for him, and um, he's always in everybody's thoughts, and there's been a lot of attention around Randy the last few years, which is very well-deserved, and your songs are a big part of that, so uh, thank you for adding that, Paul, and have a a great, great day, and thanks for talking to me.
0: Okay, Terry, hope to see you soon. Yes, hey, sir. If you need, Thank somebody you. To, you need somebody to come play a few songs on your live shows, let me know.
1: Oh, so, I would love that. <laughs> I'll try to
0: come show up.
1: I don't. I, I think I probably have 10 hits that might equal half of one of yours, so I'm not sure if that order would be right. So <laughs>
0: It's all the same. We don't even have to play hits. We'll just play old whole song.
1: All right, Paul. Well, you have a great tour, and I'll talk to you soon. Country Gold
0: with Terry Club. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennick. When so Obliterated's like, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I had the best time. That's it was great. challenging, but it was like the show It runners. doesn't always
1: happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're this not. This was a it's dream. It's no fun.
0: Genuinely. And if it beautiful. wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Yeah, like, it like was, hey, it was fine because yes. I've done it. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, wherever you listen.